Welcome to the Asian Digital Supermovers interview series on Clubhouse, where we speak to experts, founders, and investors about the Asian digital economy and ecosystem every week. Monica, Mushir, and I, Pratish, invite guests for a conversation about building, scaling, and operating businesses in Asia. Follow our club on Twitter. Our handle is AD Supermovers for providing us any feedback and staying updated on interview series guests and topics hi simon welcome hi monica good morning or <laughs> i guess uh, evening for you absolutely and good, very good morning to you thank you so much for joining us i hope you didn't have any issues connecting all good all good over here thank you perfect so let us uh, quickly start thank you everyone for joining us today with the asian digital supermovers we talk about everything associated with the asian digital economy and near around and today and in doing so we have a couple of series that are running including one on product management that normally happens on a saturday which is what we are doing today with me monica we also have series on asia tech talks which happens with pratish who invites growth and vc and startup experts to talk about how it is to build a business in asia and then we have mushir who is also who is not there today because of a personal exigency on his side but he talks about defi fintech and everything related to crypto so in case you haven't guessed mushir pratish and myself we are the three founders of the club and we've been running this club for over 2 months now and first generous thank you to every one of you who has recommended their friends to join the club and we've grown phenomenally beyond our own expectations to 2500 members which we are really grateful to uh, grateful to you for and uh, thank you for everyone who's invited their friends and who's joined us today in the meantime i'll quickly do a little bit of housekeeping before we dive right in uh, to the topics and of course i'll introduce simon but before i do that pratish hello and welcome hello monica hi simon thanks for making the time it's a pleasure having you monica is an expert as as you are definitely would like to get your views about product management product building monica back Thanks, Pratish. So, for everyone who is listening in, we are going to be recording this session. That is why you see the red dot at the top of your page. We would request you to to please comply. In the meantime, if there are questions and you want to come up on stage, or you should know that you are being recorded, we will be releasing this as a podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, and all the other platforms. You will be hearing about that on our social platforms, including Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as on our Telegram group. So, in case you haven't uh, followed us, then please. Please do that. We are available on Twitter, LinkedIn as AD Super Movers, and uh, our Telegram. Uh, you can join our Telegram via the QR code, which is a pin tweet to our Twitter account. Also, if you haven't given us a follow, please do that by clicking on the greenhouse icon at the top of your page. And we would really love if you would give us a follow as well. And of course, Simon, who has uh, generously devoted his morning hours to us today to talk to you about careers in product management. Also, the session format is going to be very simple. The first few, uh, about twenty to twenty-five minutes, I'm going to keep the hands raised button off, and I'm going to discuss the questions and associated flow with Simon directly. After which, we are going to open it up for the audience. So, anyone in the audience who has a question, please hold tight. We are definitely going to give you a chance to come up and speak uh, up to the stage and ask your question yourself. In the meantime, if there are anything that we can help you with, please don't hesitate to drop us a quick message on DM on socials. And uh, also, last thing, 
if you would like to invite your friends you can do that by clicking on the plus icon at the bottom right of your page and ping in your friends who would enjoy this content just as much as we would by listening to Simon today. So long introduction. So Simon, thank you so much for joining us. Simon, by introduction, I'm going to give a quick 10 um, second introduction about you. But my first question to you about is, is going to be about a lot of what about what you do. So Simon has got, uh, Simon is based out of New York. He's a musician. He's a director of product management as well as of product management and design. And he's also, he writes comedy. Now, if this wasn't interesting enough, he's actually risen from being an associate product manager to being a director and he leads now a team. And when I was speaking to Simon, I was most taken in by the fact that I got to know about Simon from his writing and he has a viral post to his credit on Medium. So if you're not following him on Medium, please do that. Also, please go and check him out on LinkedIn. Really great to have you here, Simon. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure, really. Lovely. So, Simon, first things first, what, how did you stumble upon your product management uh, career and what really got you into product management? Please tell us. Yeah, so my journey into product management was honestly a bit of a surprise. I always loved building things and designing things. Even as a boy with my friends, we would build towers and catapults and stuff, and I would sit at the computer and do mock-ups. So there was that creative itch from the very young ages. But then in college, I was active as a singer in vocal groups. And there was a product uh, website that people used to share their arrangements. And I would buy and sell my arrangements on it. And one day I was so frustrated with the way that it worked. And I said, it should obviously be designed like this. And I took out a notebook and I started sketching and got an idea that I should might as well just replace it myself and didn't know how to code. I could do some basic HTML work for marketing emails because I thought that I would be going into marketing at that point. I was studying music and sociology. And so I asked my neighbor who I knew had been involved in tech. I said, how do I go about this? Should I try to outsource some engineering? Should I learn how to code? What's the best thing to do? And he said, you actually probably want to find a peer at school who would partner with you, somebody technical who you could go in on it together and you have the vision and, and he'll partner with you and build it out. And so that's what we did. Uh, I was able to find a friend who was happy to put this site up with me and we actually ended up launching a network for college acapella groups to connect, share their videos, share their music, share their schedules, meet, arrange for travel to each other's campuses. And in that way, I stumbled into the role of product manager before I even knew that it was uh, a discipline. And following, we worked on the site for a little while, but we ultimately learned how much work it is to get something off the ground. And we had other priorities, so we, we turned that off. But I worked as a freelance musician for a few years. I continued to lean into marketing, which is where a lot of my experience had been at that point. And then I was ready to leave music and find a full-time job. And I approached that same neighbor and said, do you have any advice for me? What can I do at this point? And he said, I've actually been thinking about you for product management. And I just got hired as a VP at a company called Axial. And I think I may be able to get the clearance to bring someone junior on. And 
we sat and chatted over a few coffees and beers and he told me more about it. I studied more about it. And ultimately I came in and interviewed with him, the director of product there and the team and did a five hour homework assignment and was able to land myself a job as an associate. And the rest is history. That is quite amazing. I would have never thought that uh, a person uh, who is into music would have thought about a career or actually stumbled it this way. This is absolutely a remarkable story. But tell me one thing, since you've been at, at the same company for such a long time and you've obviously risen up the ranks, what, what does a typical day for you look like now as compared to say five years earlier when you started off as an associate and what really has changed? Tell us about, tell us if you were to uh, tell this to somebody who didn't even understand anything about product management and wanted to know what a typical day feels like for somebody who is senior and as compared to somebody who started out. So the main difference between my work today as a leader and my work as a junior is obvious if you look at my calendar in terms of the number of meetings that I go to and also the purpose of those meetings. When you rise up in product, you are spending a great deal of time managing people and also trying to better yourself as a manager. But your biggest lever becomes not your contributions, but your team's contributions and how you can leverage your team and serve as much of an editor rather than a contributor. There's a lot more planning that goes on at the beginning of the week because I'm not only planning my motions, but I'm trying to figure out how a number of people are going to be spending their weeks. And then following that, there is the basically the directives to the team. We have to kick off and we have to get going. And then they're staying in sync with the team. There's one-on-ones with the team dealing with not only their work, but you know how they are doing as individuals, how their career growth is going. And there's also a lot more facilitation with leaders of other teams because stakeholder management is obviously an enormous part of the, the role. I think that would sum up the main difference. That said, I do continue to contribute in a number of ways that are really hands-on because I, I have, I like to say, two and a half direct reports right now, a product manager, a designer, and then a, a part-time designer who's doing 20 hours a week at this point. There's still a lot that is required of me in terms of doing data analysis or hopping on the phone with a user or writing a user story or even, you know, touching a design. So it's a healthy balance, but I think that's just particular to, to my company right now. This is quite honest here, Simon, but since you mentioned that you're quite hands-on yourself, typically would it be fair to say that in managing the team, you're spending majority of your time almost like an 80-20 at this point in time in your career? 80-20 on 80% on management. It might be uh, a little less than that just because the contributions and the throughput are still so valuable that I, I find the hours mm -hmm. I often, I like to work late at night when I can be uninterrupted and yes. can, can crank through tasks as well. Absolutely. And uh, Simon, I'm going to quote something that you've written in your blog. And let me just repeat that from here. It says that as a PM, there are many demands on your time and mental energy. They say cooking is an art, but baking is a science. Product management is a bit of both. So any opportunity to focus on the art and automate the science by reducing mental overhead should be seriously considered. 
and while I absolutely love the medium post that you'd written uh, which has obviously gone viral I would love to understand this aspect a little bit more because when people think about a PM's job they normally think about somebody who is the CEO of the product thankfully that has become something of an outdated concept but they don't really understand what we do and what we're really accountable for in terms of outcome our day is normally spent in a lot of activities and cross-functional collaborations. But when I read this, it actually begged the question to me, when do you actually have your thinking time? Since you mentioned that you normally like to uh, do this at night, can you tell us normally during, like how do you actually protect yourself against this cognitive overload that happens because of the multiple uh, stakeholders that you have to manage as well as of course the multiple demands on your time and anything that has helped you, including this template that you had built, it would be lovely if you could give the uh, audience a little quick preview before they read this themselves. Sure. So the strategic thinking time or the investment in projects which are important but not urgent is something that you really have to be careful to create and you have to use tactics and tricks to make that time. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to spend your entire day responding to questions and investigating bugs and dealing with fires all over the place. There are a couple of things that, that I like to do here. One, now that at least in New York, I know the situation is obviously not as good in India right now, to put it lightly, but we are beginning to return to offices in some way. So there's 45 minutes that I'll spend in transit in the morning where nobody expects anything of me. And I can get some good thinking done there and I can write things while I'm on the subway on my phone or walking across Manhattan. Another thing to do is time blocks, putting dedicated calendar chunks towards your structured thinking time. That way people know that they shouldn't schedule over meetings. It's, it's nothing novel. It's just a good thing to remind ourselves of that we are the masters of our own schedule and we can turn off our Slack notifications. We can close our email. And another thing is working, yes, late at night or early in the morning. It depends on your own just style. And actually I did something, <laughs> I did something interesting yesterday. I, I took a personal day, but <laughs> I used the time to chip away at my own to-do list. And I didn't tell anyone I was going to do this, but it's, it was my lightweight experiment at suggesting to our company that we have a, a no meetings day, or I think they're calling it a get shit done day, that I've seen gathering steam across the industry. And, and I'm interested in how that might impact my output and the whole company's output, frankly. All the meetings are exhausting, especially on Zoom. And to be able to have several hours in a row to do whatever you want, that's where real interesting, good, valuable work can get done. As far as the template, I can speak to that too. So the article that Monica is referencing, what it does is it distills the life cycle of an idea and all of the steps that could happen along the way as you take that idea through the stages of de-risking, design, development, rollout, and beyond. And what I found it was helpful for, now everyone is going to want to tweak it and make it their own, but for me, it took all of the mental overhead of, oh, have we checked with the CEO on the latest copy here? Or have we gotten buy-in from the stakeholders on the design? Is the marketing asset ready? All of that, it just, it makes it automatic. And reducing that mental overhead buys you back time during the day. 
That is absolutely brilliant, Simon, and I completely agree with you here. By the way, you shouldn't have told everybody the secret of what PMs do uh, when they take a day mm-hmm. off because <laughs> your yeah. our to-do list never finishes. So you're absolutely right, and I hope that you get your day back and you're able to actually get some rest during a personal day off instead of working through your to-do list. But really, tells us very much about what our days are like, and it's absolutely crazy. But before I go ahead, let me do a quick room reset. to everyone who's joining us now we're talking to simon he's product manager based out of new york and he's also a musician and he writes comedy but and he also blogs and we're talking to him about his own pm growth in his company where he's risen from the ranks of an associate product manager to now leading a team and wanted to understand from him how the, what the steps of this transition look like and how it all materializes and comes together to form a successful product management career so for anyone who's uh, listening in and wants to ask a question uh please to hold on we are going to open up raising in just a minute and anyone else if there are any problems that you're having or anything that you wanted to ask us but you're not in a position to speak to dm us on twitter and uh, follow our handles which is ad super movers and we are more than happy to hear from you Simon, let's go ahead now. In terms of becoming a PM, you briefly mentioned about your journey and how you almost accidentally or otherwise stumbled upon the role that is called a PM. But going further in your product management career, have you found value in doing product certifications? And really, right now, the buzzword is of course upskilling. But what kind of upskilling have you done along the way, or skills that you've picked up at the job that have actually helped you? Would love to understand more. As far as certifications, I have to admit that I haven't uh, seen as much buzz around those here in New York. It's to the extent that it is educational. I have to imagine that it is good. <laughs> However, it's certainly not. I don't think a requirement to be doing that structured approach to learning to be bettering yourself and to be gaining skills. There are a lot of ways to pick up skills and I've participated in many of them and a lot of them have been on the job and some of them have been extracurricular. Let's see. One of the things that I did was I participated in a I would call it like a 6-week workshop where we met it was a, a group of product leaders or it was really product professionals at this point. I was earlier in my career. We met for 2 hours on Tuesday mornings. and there was structure it was a, a studio called orbital led by gary chu who's a product leader in new york my mentor calls him the philosopher king of product in new york and each of us was able to bring perspectives from our different companies many of us had only been at one company so far or maybe two so to be able to rapid fire learn from people troubleshoot issues study each other's workflows and the technologies we're using and talk through problems that we might have with how do you collaborate with a designer or what's the best way to approach engineering about this type of issue that was really helpful another thing that's really important is just having a great mentor I can't speak enough to how important that is. If you are trying to make it in product and you haven't connected yourself with somebody who is senior, who is ready to invest in you and be generous with their knowledge, I don't know how you are going to really succeed. I'm sure it's possible and I'm sure there are people out there who have done it, but it's just so much better when you have someone who has senior experience who can really guide you along your career ladder. for me that meant 
I landed in this associate role and knew nothing about the domain of mergers and acquisitions, which is what Axial focuses on, nor did I really know anything about developing product other than what I had done while I was bushwhacking up the mountain with my friend in college. The importance of having a mentor to guide you through what are the common problems, what are you doing that you could be doing better, getting that feedback loop going, and then modeling their behavior, seeing their practices, what are the ways that they kick off the week, what are the ways that they, they give feedback, what are the ways that they present to a company, how does the whole thing work, and I would say find that person if, if you can through whatever means. There's a lot of literature out there about finding good mentors. And until you find that person, or if you can't find that person, find their books and read their books and study what's out there and just be educating yourself every week on how to be a better product person, whether you're trying to break into the field or whether you're trying to level up. That's a great point. I think we underestimate the value of a mentor or and being able to emulate behavior, especially if you have a great PM leader at the company, uh, just being able to understand what they do, how they do things, and being able to understand the nuances of why it is that the behaviors exhibit themselves in the way that they do is extremely critical to learning and on the job training can really never be replicated by certifications. But I'm glad to hear about your journey on this uh, path. But since you've also grown into a people's leader and really managing people is again uh, is pretty hard it's not just another uh, status upgrade into becoming a people's manager how have you managed that transition and what are some of the uh, things that you've learned along the way i am lucky to report into a ceo who has been at the helm of this company for at this point 12 years he's the founder and ceo and who went to Stanford for business school and is a very high quality people person and manager who has definitely stubbed his toe many times, he will admit. But just as I needed a mentor in the product space, I needed a mentor in the people space as well. Somebody who has the time to coach you through problems because you're going to just encounter surprises as a manager that you're not going to know how to deal with at first blush. Yeah, when you get your first direct report, you're not really sure how it's going to go, but obviously you need to give it a lot of focus and you need to do your best because this is very high stakes. You are managing someone's professional work stream and you are developing them as a professional, which matters greatly for them as a person and matters greatly for the company and matters greatly for you. It's just a very important thing. So it has to become your priority and just as you had been studying to be great at the craft of product, now you have to be great at the craft of mentorship and guidance and development. So there's training that you should seek out. There's literature and there's mentorship. It's a very similar thing. That is very well said. I completely agree with you. And um, being under the CEO also means that you have leaders who've dealt with these problems and are able to guide you. That's absolutely brilliant. But another segue directly from what you just mentioned. So would you say that building product teams is hard? Or have you found that while, of course, luck will favor you in terms of finding the right kind of people, how have you, what do you really believe is a successful strategy in building a high-performing product team? I would definitely agree that the building a product team is hard. I think that product professionals, it's rare to find really excellent talent 
we set ourselves a high bar at Axial several years ago when we were looking for a senior product manager to join our team. And we were in the market for, I think it was six months before we found someone. And it just takes time. And so you have to decide how picky you want to be and how much you want to gamble on your talent as well. One of the ways to do it, obviously, is to to wait and just keep pulling from the market and see what you can attract. And obviously, the attractiveness of the company and the stage and the professionalism of the hiring cycle are going to be factors there, some of which you can really control, some of which you can't. But another really great resource, and my mentor, Gif Constable, has spoken about this. You can look up his speech on it at the New York Product Conference a couple of years ago, is relying on the people who are already in front of you for your talent pool. And for him, that meant looking to his community and seeing me, a neighbor and someone who he had seen develop in theater locally and in the, the church choir where I sang with his family and pulling from that talent pool and drawing there, even if someone is underexperienced, but do they have what looks like the potential to be a great product professional? Or what's been effective for our team, look inside the company. Who on the customer success team may be doing a fantastic job who might have the itch and the skills to become a product manager. What does their career over there look like? Might you want to approach them about a role? And uh, Gif said it much better than me, but I'm giving the spark notes here. And the bottom line is that the, the talent already in the company is a big shortcut because even though they might not know how to design something or how to write a SQL query off the bat, they do know the problem space, they are comfortable talking to the customers if you go from the go-to-market organization, and they've seen product cycles go pretty much from start to finish before from the sidelines, and so it's just a matter about pulling them onto the field. That's absolutely, but this brings me to the next question, Simon. I'm just wondering, by the way, this is also the same uh, strategy that I'm using at my current place of work because we need to hire people and we need to hire them quickly. The best way is really to move somebody who's been at the front line or who has the required potential and be able to train them because product management is really something that I totally believe that can be trained for, especially within the the box of what we consider the the ring fenced of the organized product organization that you are working in but one thing that i wanted to ask you based on what you also mentioned was do you strongly believe that one should hire just for the attitude and then pm should be trained for skill because this is a common thing that i've been seeing in the tech side of the world where tech talent being so sparse is being recruited for uh, simply for the attitude and the skills required on the job are being provided by companies including via tailored programs just to make things happen so the understanding is that as long as the attitude is right the person can be trained to do the job but i wanted to get your take on this i think that generally that's correct you need to have the right attitude to be a PM. You need to be hungry and curious and you need to be outward and ready to engage in great debate with your colleagues and all of that. And the skills can definitely be acquired. At least I, would, I might draw a line there. S some of the skills, writing a SQL query or 
running a good design cycle or learning how to interview a customer. There's a range of skills and some of them are more learnable than others. I think it's interesting. I do find a lot of crossover between my career in music and my career in product that's in terms of framework about thinking about things. And the, the line that I'll draw is you, you have skill and then you have talent. And sometimes it's difficult to separate those. Many people will come up to a, a musician after a show and say, you're so talented. And the musician might think to themselves, really, it's a skill that I've developed. I didn't come out of the womb playing piano. <laughs> this is the result of mastery. And so you've got skills and you've got talent. And what a PM needs, which doesn't get captured in that maxim, is a great degree of talent. You need someone who can see the very small details about something and have great opinions and just be sharp, right? Attitude doesn't mean that you are sharp. Your, your PM needs to be worried about commas and periods and, oh, I think that font size is one pixel greater. Like just noticing that sharp stuff and then having the ability to zoom out and think about systems as well. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone uh, can even learn that. That I find is something that, that is probably more either a product of a lifetime of education or something inherent to people's intelligence. Totally agree with you. Absolutely every word that you said. And this is a great segue to do a quick little uh, reset of the room uh, before. And I, by the way, for everybody in the audience who has a question, I've opened up uh, hand raising. So please do raise your hands in case you have a question that you wanted to ask Simon directly. So thanks to everyone who's joined us. We are the Asian Digital Supermovers and we talk about everything related to the Asian digital economy, ranging from product to actually building both the product as well as teams and of course businesses, venture capital funding and fintech and DeFi. Uh, this club has been founded by Pratish, Mushir and myself and today we have the pleasure of having Simon on stage who's talking about product management careers and how he's developed from being an associate product manager to leading a product team at his company. If you have any questions associated with product management or how to build a PM career, this is your chance. Also, in case you have any, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I was going to say in case you haven't followed the club, then please do that by clicking on the greenhouse icon at the top of your page and giving us a quick follow. Also follow the moderators and follow Simon, of course, so that you can uh, know when we are going into other rooms which are going to be of interest to you. Because if you like the content that we are providing to you today, then I'm sure that you'd like the rooms that we normally end up going to. Uh, also, a big thanks to every single one of you who has referred their friends to our club. We've actually grown pretty phenomenally beyond our own expectations. And it's because of people such as yourself who actually find value in participating in these conversations. We thank you, e thank every single one of you for your uh, contribution and of, of course for active participation in our club. Really appreciate that. In case you wanted to ping anyone in who would like to listen to this content, you can do that by clicking on the plus icon at the bottom of your page and pinging in your friends. Right now, we have Ambika. Hey, Ambika. Hi, welcome to the stage. Hi, thank you, Monica. Thanks, Pratish. Uh, Simon, I have a question for you. Can you talk more about how the role changed when you started as associate product manager and now that you're in a product leader role? Can you talk about the evolution of your role and responsibility? Absolutely. Earlier, I'm not sure if you were here, Rika, and thank you for the question. I did talk about some of the main differences, but there's more that I can say. 
earlier, I, I mentioned how much the transition goes from hands-on work into management and everything that comes along with that shift. But in other terms, there were just the activities that I, that I was getting up to. As an associate product manager with uh, very little in my starting skill set other than a liberal arts degree, it was really just like executing experiments in terms of validating and invalidating business ideas, taking very clear marching orders, getting very close protection and watch for my mentors uh, so that I could have a chance to really succeed in the company. So I was doing things that, that an associate could do, things like drawing up, designing an experiment with careful oversight, reaching out to a list of uh, 100 CEOs to test an idea, distilling my research into a report, we're giving that back to the company and my own sort of findings on whether or not we should pursue the idea, then being embedded on the customer success team to learn their problems. And actually what was something that was really helpful for me was I seeing some of the inefficiencies in their job, I partnered up with somebody in the data team to build them an internal tool in Tableau and in slow motion, building my product manager skill set so that by the time that they were ready to plug me into the full PM role, I already had a lay of the land in terms of the domain. I had done my learning, my studying, my talking to customers, my staying quiet because I didn't know enough to contribute at meetings for the first two or three months. So thank goodness I was in a supportive environment where my potential was allowed to, to blossom. And rising from that, you really, you leave your learning stage behind. You get into the hands-on execution. And that's where the classic range of PM activities come in. I think many of us are familiar, right? You're working on data questions. You're working on customer research. You're working on designs. You're working on product marketing. You're working on investigating bug fixes. And then ultimately, you're rising a level above that. And you are working on strategic concepts. You're working with the leadership team, who is your first team, and you are figuring out what the roadmap is going to look like. And you are working on communications to the company and you are managing your direct reports and trying to oversee the best delivery of the strategy and the company vision. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate the question. Thank you, Ambika. Hi, Shantanu. Welcome on stage. Please tell us a, a quick few lines about yourself and then ask your question. Hi, hi. Uh, thanks for giving me a chance to be here. I'm Shantanu. Currently, I'm a UX researcher. But before that, I was an APM at one of India's startups. So, so my question is, is actually because a lot of people have asked me how to move into product management. And now I've actually moved out of product management. This is something... I wanted to know was, do you think, is there any role which is better suited to move laterally into PM? Is it design? Is it UX research? Is it software development? Folks from operations or anything else? Yeah, that was my question. Thanks, Shantanu. I love the question. And I think that none of the roles you just mentioned should be considered less inherently qualified for product. I think that the roles and the, the professionals in them are going to come most likely with an imbalance of skills, each one particularly 
weighted towards this or that, whether it's research or talking to people or actually thinking about technical considerations. Obviously, there were several decades where I think the prime PM candidate was someone who came from engineering. And now we've discovered, okay, that's not so important. You just need to be able to satisfy the requirements of being a PM, which is that you can effectively solve problems and discuss technology with engineers in a way that's satisfying for the business and that, that makes the engineers happy to work with you and leads to good, fast outcomes. So I would say where wherever you're thinking of pulling from or someone who's thinking of transitioning, they just need to look at the role and say, okay, do I have the, the skill set to do the, the problem solving that a PM needs to do every day? Or do I have the basic knack for it? If, if I'm in operations, then I'm solving a lot of problems and I'm probably building systems and maybe I've even talked to customers. Same with data. And so it's all about looking at the, the gaps and saying how much potential and how much draw do I have towards those gaps to level up and, and become the more holistic type of professional that product manager needs to be. Thanks. Thanks for the answer, Simon. You got it. Thanks. Thank you, Shantanu, for asking. This was actually a really great question. I hope we can bring you back to product management someday. <laughs> Thank you so much. Lovely. Simon, before we delve into our next section, you've spoken a lot about singing in the choir, having a mu uh, musical background, and, a mus and you're a musician yourself. But there's one facet about your personality that I'm absolutely fascinated by which is your personal brand and your communication style, especially on text. I've mentioned about your blog post many times already in this hour, but I wanted to understand from you what really took and what really triggered your own writing and how would you suggest that this is a great path to anyone else who wants to follow along the same footsteps? And if so, what can they actually do to start writing? Absolutely. So the writing about product management is also a direct gift from my first mentor, Gift Constable, who, when he was the VP and I was the associate, he had the team assigned to different slots in a publication schedule, and we had a, a medium publication for our team. So when it came around to your month, you had to say something out to the market. Giff himself is a writer. He's published two books about product and entrepreneurship, which are really great, really quick reads. I will quickly plug them. One is called Talking to Humans. I always recommend this book. It's a short read. It's really good. And then the other is about doing experiments. And so Giff understands the supreme value of writing as a product manager, and not only for the formation of your own thoughts, but also just to develop a personal brand. And the, the benefits that come from having that brand are so important. And I push my team to write now too, because it allows you to just create this positive, virtuous cycle around your career that just wouldn't be there if you weren't putting your thoughts out into the world. I'm only here on Clubhouse today or I think in large part because of what I've been putting out onto Medium. You're generously sharing your knowledge and people notice that, they appreciate it. There are going to be valuable things that you can say when you've been in a role and people who are at your level or below your level are definitely going to be hungry for those types of learnings. And so you're just improving. It's a gift to the world when you can share your experience 
And another just evidence of the power of writing is that I had been putting these blog posts out and somebody who I hadn't spoken to, a friend from college from five years ago, reached out, said, I just think it's so great that you've been doing all this writing. I wanted to reconnect. I said, that's great. And we talked for a couple of weeks and she just accepted an offer at Axial yesterday (laughs) because the writing was the spark that she needed to connect with me and realize that there was potential in it for her and that could be good outcomes. So I cannot speak highly enough to the positivity that writing has brought into my life. Obviously, I write, as Monica has mentioned, in comedy as well, and that has been an enormous source of joy and pride and accomplishment. But as far as product as well, it's just so important and so good for everyone involved. We're all looking for good things we can do in the world today, and and putting our knowledge out there on the internet for others to read is definitely one of the lowest hanging fruits. That is brilliant. And I think it goes without uh, saying, but is there any other passion other than building products that has helped your communication style? That's a good question. Reading is certainly one of them. I think most product people love to read. And that's where you pick up a lot of your skills as a writer. But I have been passionate about writing for much of my life. I was being called out in grade school by teachers saying, oh, you write with great voice. And so that that encouragement really led me to lean into it and to explore the the medium. And so I think it's just, it's the passion for communicating. And it's also the passion for teaching. In, in music, I was working with children and professionals just throughout the whole range to, to help them you know, learn songs to better how they sing or to prepare them for an audition or to get them ready to go on stage that night. And if you find joy from people's growth and development, and that joy comes through teaching and communicating, then you're probably in a really good place to be writing and, and sharing out. That's a great point, Simon. But I, how do you actually develop your own personality? Because communication skills are a huge part of what we do as a PM. But how important do you think it is for, because everybody is not an extrovert and everybody does not have the kind of communication skills, at least verbally. What would be your thoughts and what do you tell your team? Because nowadays we, we find a myriad of characters and personalities taking to product management. It's not a cookie cutter rule anymore. So the realm of communication is definitely one of those realms that has talent and skill. And I think skill has a really high ceiling. Communication skills are something that can be learned. And even if you're introverted and it's not, it's uncomfortable to be putting your words out there, to be exposing your thoughts for others to to look at and poke at and critique and judge and all of that. That's something you can push yourself to do. It's a simple behavior and it's about getting yourself over the hump because communication and very good communication is an unavoidable part of success in product management. Now, I would not recommend this career path to somebody who doesn't, at least at at some level, enjoy, excuse me, enjoy politicking, not in the negative way, but just in terms of debate and collegiality and exploring different ideas with other people 
and ultimately being able to take a stand and defend it. I think that it's similar in many ways to the profession of law, right? You are constantly building cases and defending things. So if that makes you nervous, then hopefully you are pushing yourself to become more comfortable with that anxiety and to level up your skills. Because as I said, writing is a skill and speaking is a skill that you can learn, you can improve, you can go through feedback loops, you can study things, take courses, and that is definitely such a critical area to work on. So I don't think it's hopeless if you feel like you need to level up, just go and do the leveling up. But I personally, I would not hire a product manager who has grammatical issues on their resume or their LinkedIn or their just publication somewhere. Like the attention to detail in communications is critical. I think good advice for someone who wants to succeed is put in the time there, focus there first and foremost, because that is such a key part of the job. Thank you. And thank you for uh, highlighting this particular fact because communication really is the key to how we manage our collaborations and ensure product success. So thank you so much. Last part of uh, what I wanted to discuss was about measuring success. I think as a product manager, this question gets asked to me at least very often, what is your contribution? When I say this, which is that Product managers who I who are leading into me ask me, how are you going to measure me? How do I measure what I do? Because I've been working the entire day. I don't know what outcome I have created. I've heard these memes and uh, obviously jokes go around the internet which talk about product manager days, which are extremely difficult to uh, traverse for anybody who doesn't really understand the product management discipline because they don't understand what we do as well. So justifying it to a senior or justifying it to a business leader becomes hard. So that's why I wanted to understand in terms of how you measure and track success. Are there any metrics that you use or is this just about the communication of your team directly to you about the output that they are managing or the outcomes that they are trying to create? I think that it's very important for everyone in an organization, not just the product team, not just the engineers, everyone, customer success analysts, you name it, to feel as though they are contributing to a measurable metric outcome and goal. And so one of the best things that a company can do is to isolate one of those metric goals or several of them and that often comes in the form of OKRs, objectives and key results, which obviously are very popular these days and which we do use at Axial. And those come at a quarterly cadence. And so you can get a sense that every one of your activities, at least the important ones, should be laddering in to some effort to push some number up or down or whatever you're trying to do. And so you have that as like an overlying framework of your quarters and halves and years, and there should be high levels of visibility on that number and on those numbers. And likewise, for any change to the product which you are considering or endeavoring towards as a product manager, one of the first steps that you need to do when you're approaching that problem is identify the metric 
by which you will measure your success. Uh, there should not be a large amount of work which is fuzzy or general or without a clearly defined outcome that you are pushing for. And what that does is it narrows your focus, it allows you to guide the team and the broader team around you who's collaborating towards, guys, this is what we are focusing on. That's a good idea, but is it going to actually help us achieve this metric goal? And so you can uh, cut off a lot of noise in conversations. There's always too many good ideas and focus in that way. And then you can create accountability for the team and you can publish your goal to the rest of the company. And then afterwards, you can report out in two, three, six months after you've released your feature or solved your bug problem or whatever it may be. And you can say, when we prioritized this project, we wanted to achieve this metric outcome. What happened was this. And here are ways in which we think we could iterate. And here's why we will or won't be doing that. So if your company or your, yourself or your team is not feeling like you are really connected to uh, metric outcomes, then you should take a hard look at that and uh, consider it. Yes, you're absolutely right. And uh, in terms of communication about the metrics, how often do you actually have discussions with your team or more importantly, cascade these metrics out to major stakeholders in terms of regular updates? What would be your suggestion or recommendation? So there are different types of metrics. As I was alluding to, we at Axial have gone to some length to adopt a framework which John Cutler has put out there, who is an excellent product professional who everyone should be following. He works at Amplitude. And the framework of the North Star product metric is intended to give a singular focus, as I was describing, which is predictive of business success. So it's a leading indicator there, but which is out of reach if you were tr to try to drive it by an individual or a team's efforts. It's something that is should be down your success funnel so that you might be focusing on maybe leads or acquisition, onboarding, engagement, whatever it may be, Those the, the inputs that can move your North Star metric up. And once you have your North Star, we at Axial have great visibility on it. It's almost as if we had IPO'd and we had a stock price that we could watch. So we have the chart of this trailing 90-day figure pushing into our Slack channels daily or weekly in certain channels, and then we, we review it at our all hands on Friday afternoons. And we have commentary around it. And if it dips, then that's obviously great that we have it defined so that we can immediately see it because we're looking all the time and say, why is this dipping? Do we need to hop into problem solving mode or should we just watch this? And if it goes up, then you can celebrate. So there's high level of visibility there, but that's like the company level. Then you have your feature level. And for that, what it really takes is just, I think, the discipline to, to follow up afterwards. Because if you're not following up, Teammates across the organization may be saying, did that work? What was the outcome there? What were they working towards? Did it achieve it? Like they're going to start to get this anxiety and it's a critical opportunity for you to return to what you've done. If you can have the discipline to three months after the release, 
send out a post on your company blog, three paragraphs on the release, the decisions that were made, and what the outcome was, and whether or not it was achieved. For things that are more critical or higher volume, you might be reporting out the week after and saying, guys, we made an, an, an immediate impact here. This is great, congratulations, celebrate that win with your team. Or if nothing is happening, take a look at that too. It's just important to own the outcomes because it will build trust with your team and whether the outcomes are desired or not because there's always a lesson that can be taken away and business value that can be added. That is absolutely brilliant. And thank you so much for the very transparent as well as honest conversation around this subject. I think in trying to do so much, most often than not, we tend to focus only on the outcome and also on the activities and therefore stop focusing on what we are supposed to deliver and also being able to process the outcome and impact of the delivery. One last question on this one. How do you really manage the constant, I would think, uh, lack of gratitude and appreciation that most product managers feel associated with their outcomes versus the kind of output that they have been able to create? Because being involved in daily activities that really do not really contribute towards, say, a line of a bug being solved or lines of coding that you've put in or a feature being released, there is often that particular metric that is definitely missing to really feel feel associated with the high associated with creating products. So how do you justify these efforts to your PM team? How do you really manage the associated disappointment that people uh, might feel in terms of their own contribution? One of the least expensive and most valuable things that you can do as a teammate and especially as a leader is to recognize publicly great work and that is a critical part of company culture, good company culture that should be built in that can help with this problem. PMs, sometimes it is very thankless. Sometimes people do not understand what you're doing with your time, but especially as a leader, when you see good work happening, you need to find the opportunity or build in the opportunity to reward that if, if other people aren't seeing it. And by sharing out your praise, other people will come to understand the value of the work that is going on. And other people will also take their own opportunities to call it out. Uh, one thing that we do at Axial, which is really great, and I think other companies do it in, in similar forms sometimes, is also at that Friday wrap-up meeting with the whole company on the line, we have a segment where we just give essentially kudos to each other and we link the achievements of individuals from the week to a company value or just going above and beyond. So if the product manager was incredibly helpful with a bug and hopped on the phone with a customer and troubleshot it and managed the whole situation really cleanly and made somebody day's, somebody's day better, then that somebody will likely take the chance to praise that person and in that structured way in front of everyone, just create the positivity around the work. Any company that's, that's not got some sort of structured way for employees to recognize each other, I think should really consider it. It's been a very nice part of working at Axial over the years. That is an absolutely very cool tip that can be implemented by almost everyone. If not at the company level, then it definitely at the team level. Very useful. Thank you so much. 
by the way last call if there is any question for that anyone in the audience has please do raise your hands now otherwise we've already overshot on time so i just want to be mindful of that and i'm going to come to the last segment of my interview today with simon so last chance if anybody wanted to come up on stage please do raise your hands by clicking on the hand raise icon which is at the bottom of your screens if not then i will quickly go to do my last segment okay we have ambika again one minute hey ambika hi thanks monica yeah I, if i can ask one more question that will be simon could you talk more about qualitative versus quantitative testing methods when do you go for ab testing and use that quantitative methodology to drive your product design or product strategy as opposed to usability testing which will be more qualitative This is a great question. I'm very excited to talk about this. So there are a couple of I think easy uh shortcuts to figure out which might be appropriate for me because of Axial's size. The testing, we're not the type of company that can just roll out uh, a version to a cohort and have statistical significance within a few hours. We are no Facebook, right? We have we're in the thousands in terms of regularly active users and so for us the ab testing is not so much an option but and nor necessarily is a like targeted release to a small cohort that even bakes for a little while always on the table sometimes that can really bloat the scope and oftentimes what we want to do is just do the de-risking ahead of time when you're approaching a decision as a product leader there's a couple of reasons you might look at the data usually yeah it's just to help you figure out what the best course is but beyond that you're not just trying to convince yourself you need to convince the people around you or at least to the extent that they're able to buy in on your recommended course and so sometimes what you might want to do is say okay we got to do a data spike here we we got to go query if if it's easy especially you almost can't afford not to it's what do the usage curves over time here look like how many how many objects should we show in this email you can figure that one out by studying the data and that'll really help guide you other things are more nebulous and you really just need to be talking to your users and talking to your users is is something that should be happening automatically as just part of your apparatus of your team whether you're doing it for specific designs or you're doing it just to get 20 minutes of their day and see what their feedback on the product has been have those conversations if they can't have the conversation have them fill out the survey and learn about what your customers are thinking this week compared to last week compared to last month and often I find that a couple of qualitative quotes mixed in with some good hard data can be a very compelling way to convince yourself and convince your teammates that a decision is sound. And if nobody is convinced, then that's the point where you say, "Okay, what do we need here and what further research can I do?" and you'll probably find it in your guts what your options are at that point to to continue to learn and reduce risk. Got it. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Ambika, for asking your question. And before we wrap up, 
first of all a uh, big thank you to everyone who joined us today in the audience thank you to every one of you as well as of course to my wonderful co-host pratish and to simon for making the time and for this insightful session but before we let him go i wanted to do a quick rapid fire to try to get uh, to know simon a little bit better and to try to also close on the note of a little bit of fun rather than just talking about shop so simon are you ready Let's go for it. Awesome. So, technical PM, growth PM, data PM, or just PM? I think just PM. Keep yourself flexible. Keep yourself broad. Land in the opportunities that you can get. If you end up specializing, go ahead and specialize. But the PM skill set is at its core flexible. Nice. Do you like working from home, or do you hate it? I actually was just drafting up a proposal for our team's re- return to office plan, and so yesterday I put together ten of the benefits of working remotely and ten of the drawbacks. I'm happy to do it. The benefits can be really obvious: reduced commute time, reduced commute fare, amenities like your kitchen and your fridge, maybe your home gym if you have some exercise equipment, fewer distractions. It's great. You can travel and still be online, so that's a wonderful benefit. And you can just be happier. But what do you lose? You lose collaboration. You're forced away from the richness of face-to-face communication. You're forced into Zoom and Slack, which are slow and tiring and difficult to use. Sometimes people have internet outages. People have audio and video issues. You have collaborative friction. There is no replacement for a whiteboard other than a wall that is painted white and that you can draw on. There, the, the post-it notes and the sharpies, uh, all of that is missing right now, and it is hurting teams' ability to do great creative work. So I miss collaborating with my team in the office, but ultimately there is going to be for us and for many others, I think you're going to see a hybrid model uh, where certain days we're in there for the collaboration and certain days we're at home for the benefits that offers because there are real benefits to both. Personally, I've been very happy. I'm just sad about the... I miss my team. <laughs> I miss working with my team in person. It was something really great about the job. So I'm, I'm excited for the return of that. Nice. I totally agree with you as far as this is concerned. Working remotely does have its benefit, but the drawbacks are also something that I'm feeling now. Absolutely agree with you. What have you not tried out of this? Intermittent fasting, zero inbox or digital detox? What have I not tried? What was the first one? Intermittent fasting. Oh, <laughs> I'm doing that. Inbox Zero, I also do digital detox. I have not done a digital detox. Maybe I should. I think about it every now and then, but it is just, I'm so addicted to technology at the end of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. All of us are. One more question for those of us who are not in the US, New York or San Francisco? Which one do you prefer and why? New York all the way. I'm a 12th generation New Yorker, or at least the New York area, and this is my home. Broadway is here. It is the the greatest place on earth as far as I'm concerned, and the tech opportunities here, granted, I do not think that they are what they are in San Francisco, but there is a lot of opportunity in New York, 
So anyone who's worried about their career, you'll do fine here. But I just love New York. Lovely. And uh, Simon, which one do you prefer, blogs or books to learn from? Mm. I think I'm going to go with books. I think that uh, there's just a, a longer form dialogue that you can have with an author there. And I also personally love to highlight and write in the margins in a business book and blogs. How many blog articles have you read this year and how many of them do you remember? It goes in and out. There's something intentional and memorable about a book that I just prefer. Absolutely. And uh, music or reading? You can do both at the same time. But I think if I had to have one, I would go with music. It's irreplaceable. Reading, you can at least, you can replace with other ways to take in information, right? Through conversation, podcasts, you name it. But music is music, and music is one of the most beautiful parts of life. Absolutely. And last question, do you prefer books or Netflix? <laughs> I am guilty. I prefer Netflix when I have a free moment. It takes a lot of, I think, focus for me to pick up a book shut off my distractions and get into it. Netflix is something that feels more like relaxing and unwinding at the end of the day. So you're more likely to find me when 11 o'clock or midnight rolls around to be in front of the TV. Wonderful. So we know when to catch you and when to write to you so that we'll get an instant response while you're browsing through Netflix and enjoying your off time. But That's right. Much Simon for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to host you and to learn from you, and of course, know a little bit more about you. Love reading your blog, and we'll continue to do. In fact, I'm going to um, tweet about this as well. And to everyone in the audience, thank you so much for joining us. Before going, and I just wanted to plug in uh, a couple of rooms that are coming up. So we have uh, a room tomorrow talking about the creator's economy. That's at 10.30 a.m. India time. We are going to talk about the boom or the bust phase of the creator economy and what we are facing ourselves facing because of the COVID situation. Is it something that you anticipate is going to continue to grow with people finding passion in what they are doing and giving up their regular their jobs to take to their passion and having avenues such as clubhouse to actually monetize on those so that's happening tomorrow at 10 30 a.m india time which is 1 p.m hong kong and singapore i know it's going to be late for people in america but if there's anybody who's a night owl and wants to join in you're more than welcome also on wednesdays we have our tip our newsroom in which we cover all the uh, news and happenings from asia we love we would love to have the audience members join us on stage so if you have uh, a news headline to share or if you wanted to just discuss about what's making the news please do join us we, it's at again at 7 30 p.m india time which is 10 p.m hong kong and singapore and uh, and apart from that all our uh, regular information is going to be on the calendars as well as of course on our social so please do check us out do follow asian digital Supermovers and keep coming back for this great content thank you again simon and before i end i'll hand over to pratish last words from you before we end the room Thank you, Simon, for being here. Really learned a great deal. I'm not from product management, but I think there are certain aspects that you talked about definitely reflect that we can take from uh, you and probably look at growth and scaling as well. Thanks, Monica, for hosting the room. 
thanks everyone for joining in. We hope that we can get Sam back again for a session and we can request him to close the room in that session with a song or something that he does as another part of his life or probably that is where his heart lied before he got into product management. So thanks, Simon. Hope to see you soon. Thanks. One one feature that is missing from Clubhouse, I'm I'm smiling a big grin right now. So <laughs> the great idea about the song. And thank you, Monica. Thank you, Pratish. This has been so much fun for me to do. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity. And thanks to everyone who hopped in. Oh, look, we've got some little uh, celebration emojis going on down there. So maybe I, I need to learn my way around this app a little better. But I uh, hope everyone is doing well, stays safe, healthy, and happy. And I hope you learned a couple of things. And uh, please connect with me if you'd, if you'd like to stay in touch. Happy to meet people always. Thank you. Thank you so much, Simon. Take care. Ending the room in about 10 to 15 seconds. So thank you, everyone. Stay safe, stay happy. Bye.